This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lifty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Deb Doss. How's it going? It's going well. How are you, Kyle? I'm doing well. So first off, we're here in Comstock Park, which is north of Grand Rapids. We've known each other, I want to say, since 2011. Around that time. Mars Hill. Yes. We were both volunteers, mm-hmm. and that's how we met. Yes. And you started off with the fifth graders, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I, they were sixth grade. Sixth grade. So maybe 2012? It was, it was 2011, 2011 when I moved. Okay. So... And through that, too, not only our friendship, but we were a part of a friend group and so many <laughs> ridiculous memories, probably. Yes. Uh, I met, I'm guessing from mm-hmm. you, uh, just knowing your personality. <laughs> yes. Yes. Lane was, I think Lane is kind of the, the link for a lot of people. And I think that was kind of a, the welcoming into the, to the group, but uh no, it was uh, definitely, I, I heard that the group has been described as a lot of big personalities, and I think that's uh, that was interesting for me because definitely coming as an introvert as well into that kind of group is was uh, a bit of a shock at the start, but still welcoming. What's interesting, though, is you're right. There were a lot of big personalities, but there were a lot of us who were introverted as well, and it made for this quirky <laughs> bizarre friend group that just somehow <laughs> made it work mm-hmm. yeah and i think it was also just some similar connections i mean a lot yeah. of us had the, the mars hill link so right yeah. so let's talk about you you were born and raised in portage michigan that's nearby uh kalamazoo for those of the uh, who don't know where that is what was it like for you to grow up in portage so Portage is definitely a suburb town. We didn't really, even though we were close to Kalamazoo, we didn't really go downtown. My mom worked down there, and so she kind of had the experience of dealing with a lot of, I think she had some encounters with some of the, you know, the psych patients coming out of Kalamazoo Hospital and so forth. So I think we were always kind of isolated to small town life small town living and uh, very much so surrounded by the life of being around a church and everything was kind of revolving around that. Other than that, it's pretty similar to any other suburb in the U.S. (laughs) Well, with you, uh, when it comes to music, there's a lot of classics. So I'm curious, I mean, I could mention the Beach Boys, Led Zeppelin, Bruce Springsteen, Simon and Garfunkel, just to name a few. How, where, where does this influence coming from? So that was a lot of music that my dad had on record. So he had a whole case of different types of records. Uh, he himself was guitar player and a keyboardist. And he actually met my mom because he was, you know, the, the band guy. <laughs> Granted, the church band guy, but still the band guy, you know. If you're thinking like the guy on the motorcycle owns his own boat, has his boat painted the same color as his Corvette, that kind. So 
Wow. He he grew up <laughs> he grew up as kind of like what you would picture as like the rebel, and he himself didn't necessarily grow up in like the Christian home. Whereas versus my mom was definitely more so. You know, her growing up in Holland. Yeah. Everybody was. And uh, so I think she was intrigued by this idea of the bad boy, but still is an acceptable one. Right. But I think because of that, he had a lot more exposure to your classics. Your bread was a huge one from the 70s. Yeah. They loved that band. And yeah, Leonard Skinner, Led Zeppelin, Beach Boys, all of those. So he would regularly play all of those classics on on his records when we were up. Do you know if these were bands that he was listening to at a young age himself? I believe so, yes. I'm not 100% sure on kind of his kind of origin background getting into music, but I do know that he had a strong interest in it by taking up those different types of... Oh, side story. You know he's into music when, and he's a mechanic too, so he can fix, fix anything. Of, yeah. He decided to purchase a bagpipe, learn how to play it, switch it to the other side so he could play it on his opposite side because he's deaf in one ear, and it functions just fine. He, uh, yeah, just wow. manipulated an instrument that he didn't know anything about. <laughs> so <laughs> there was definitely this connection always for him with music. But as far as, yeah, early years, somehow that that worked in with his interest between that and, and learning how things work. Do you know how he picked up the guitar and the, the keyboard? I don't know the origin, but like I said, he will like set out to kind of figure things out on his own, whether that's okay. mechanical or whatever. But So he never really like, he's not one to read music per se, but he'll pick up something, on, yeah. a tune or something and play it or learn how to play it. So. Yeah. What's interesting too with this is you got a record player yourself, right? I did end up kind of getting one which he had originally. And so both my sister and I ended up with record players as we moved out of the house because that was kind of the the nostalgia of growing up. And we both wanted to have that uh, way of, of playing music that yeah. was kind of bringing that back. Was it just something that was played on at all sorts of times or was it something more specific? No, it was, it was pretty much all time. He had kind of his own music room downstairs. And so of course he would also fix speakers. So he had to test those speakers. Therefore he had to play his music and blast it to until the walls were shaking much to much to the chagrin of my mom. So. Yeah. You mentioned nostalgia. So was there anything that comes to mind uh, when he was playing that music? Something that a fond memory. I think as far as playing classics or music regularly, we always had the tradition of playing music on Christmas morning. I mean, Christmas, that's, of course, your your classic nostalgia moments, right? Right. But uh, it was always blasting. Um, granted, at that time, it was, you know, cassette tapes. But <laughs> you still had Mariah Carey every Christmas. Mannheim steamroller that yeah. was that was the the thing to play every Christmas so for for memories that's kind of the one that stands out otherwise he would just randomly play his music when he felt like it yeah so. is there any of those artists that still resonate with you today I think 
having better taste in music is in due in part because of listening to some of those classics growing up. And of course, you know, my sister continuing on that with more exposure to, to new music. But I think having known those classics was kind of a diving point into trying to figure out like these newer artists or having an interest in, in learning about new, new artists coming out or Mm -hmm. different styles of music. In your elementary years, you get a portable CD player Mm -hmm. and you get your first CD. So uh, for example, the queen greatest hits, which you played constantly. Why? I mean, that was the only seat I really had, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> my It was the territorial days when, you know, my sister had her own CDs. But yeah. this was one I could own in my little CD pack that, you know, the zipper packs, 10, oh, 10, K, <laughs> 10, uh, 10 slots. Yeah. And Queen was always sitting on that top. So the Queen's Greatest, greatest Hits CD was definitely one that I got to the point of memorizing I knew exactly what song was coming on next. And, and of course also had CDs of like your standard Christian bands of jars of clay and small town poets and that kind of thing. (laughs) Queen was definitely, it stands out in my memory as like, that was the introduction to my own tastes or my own like owning of music. Right. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, definitely classic rock was kind of where it all started. Well, what's interesting and, We'll get into this. To me, I saw it as like a kind of a bridge for you from because Queen is kind of considered classics now, but not in the normal sense mm-hmm. because they are pretty eclectic yep. and they're unique in terms of what they were doing at that time mm-hmm. in the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s. And so I feel like it it makes sense what you were listening to after that we'll talk about in a second. Right. It kind of like, like I said, bridges your childhood with your current tastes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and just as an example too, like, you know, yeah. Led Zeppelin with his variety yeah, of, oh yeah. of style and going from seventies music, similar to like the Bee Gees all the way to, you know, heavier, heavier rock and, uh, from influences, but yeah, I think I really appreciated Queen for simply the fact that it was interesting. I had a cousin at the time who, like me, had his you know sets of CDs that he always played, and, and Beatles was his thing, and I definitely latched onto that too. But they were kind of unique, each you know, with each member of the band having a different style and right. having different kinds of music, and, and definitely strange for the times. Some of the later music was definitely strange for the times that it was created, right. So you you mentioned Jars of Clay, Small Town Poets. What was it about those specific artists that were making you want to listen to them? So Small Town Poets was, from what I remember, my first concert too. But I think what's so unique about, especially the time frame when they were creating music, is that it was music that actually had uniqueness to it. Unlike what you would standardly hear, I am not remembering all of your standard artists in the Christian realm, but usually your artists that made music. To me, it always felt like they made music specifically to make money off of it so that churches could sing it. Yeah. And I never bought into that. I never, I always had this like separation from from that kind of music because it, it fell in line with 
the idea of, of pop music, your standard run-of-the-mill music that didn't have any soul to it. It didn't have any creativity. And something that I think people who did listen to Jars of Clay towards the beginning, before they moved into a pop phase, and small town poets would agree that like those first years of them having music was, it was intriguing. It had minor and mostly minor and major tones, but it, if you, if with listening to music now with the Crushing Room, I can't, I just can't <laughs> because it's all your, your major keys. And I just, I think it just, it doesn't really pull into any of sort of deeper emotions to it. And I think, or creativity mm-hmm. with that. So I think those, those are the reasons why those two bands stand out most more than some of the other ones. What was it like to, I mean, you mentioned Small Town Poets was your first concert. What was that like as a kid? Well, it was in a church, <laughs> so it wasn't <laughs> the full experience of a concert. But it was interesting. It was a unique way to experience the mu- music itself rather than just slipping on a pair of headphones. It was a n- unique way to be in a room with other people and actually fully enjoying the music the performance and kind of feeling that with the energy that's created in the room uh let's talk about your peer pressure or uh the influence of friends yes <laughs> from the uh, the music that you're listening to this would have been as well during like elementary and middle school days what were some of those artists and bands and so- or songs that you were getting influence from your friends by. Sure. One of the other things that I'm remembering now is that other friends had access to cable. We had, you know, the yeah. six channels that you kept flipping through and you never got anything and you just yeah. kept flipping through because you were bored. But some of them, <laughs> had, you know, MTV was huge right. at that time. And in addition to that was when R&B was becoming super popular. So artists like Brandy and TLC and and all of the your classics with pop R&B yeah that were coming out and so those were kind of those things that you sang on the playground or talked about Spice Girls though I could never get into that one just that that friend influence never stuck just it was awful <laughs> why not oh it's so repetitive and it's just <laughs> shrieking voice <laughs> it's just I can't handle it but I I, I do appreciate the influences of R&B because I do think that was again something that was unique that from what I had originally been listening to and gave a different kind of perspective so that's I think why R&B kind of stood out and and it was everywhere at that time of course it's crazy just looking back during that time just how much R&B was on the radio Mm -hmm. then you have kind of the the boy band phase or the Britney Spears phase, but even in the midst of that boy band or the Britney phase, Mm -hmm. there's still so much R&B going on. Yeah. And it's interesting because I I reflect back on 90s music and it does seem like a phase where there was quite a broad spectrum of different styles that were popular and so gave people a lot to choose from. Yeah, I mean, you could go start with grunge and yeah, Nirvana, and go gangster straight to rap, 
Barbie girl. <laughs> you yeah. Just go for Emma and the elect some of the Emma electronic Emma. like jock jam type mm -hmm. uh, music. Beastie and then, Boys. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it is very like you said uh, wide ranging and eclectic mm -hmm. for a decade. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's great music. Yeah. You had so not only your dad but you had a, a large uh, influence from your sister as well. She had a significant amount of music taste that transferred to you and it was primarily alternative music. So for example, Radiohead, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Green Day, Alanis Morissette, Cranberries. There's so many others that you listed. And talk about how that how she got into those bands and then how that influenced you. So she was dating somebody at the time in high school, her later years in high school, that was a band guy. He was had his own his actual own band and was definitely one who had influence on from Radiohead and so forth. And and so she kind of picked up from him, I'm sure, most of it. But uh, she was also kind of in that rebellion phase of her life as well. So getting the more extreme music just to try to like push buttons <laughs> was kind of her gradual trajectory. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up with like system of a down <laughs> as a middle school, early high schooler and my parents hearing the music and just being absolutely horrified <laughs> with some of this music. I was definitely under the, at that age, I was definitely more so feeling like, this is a little bit intense. I don't even say the F word at that point. And so I was like nervous to listen to it, even when I was by myself. Cause I was yeah. like, Oh, this is, this is dangerous music, <laughs> but I was the little sister. So I, I kind of followed along and was kind of listening in on the same style of tr music trajectory. Yeah. And, and then she got to her college years and kind of mellowed out a little bit with some more like cold play and some of the more chill, Chill bands, Keen, yeah, Damien Rice, so forth. I love me some Keen. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, Radiohead being one of your faves. Mm -hmm. I'm curious by that. How, like, talk about how that all came about and why they're your favorite. So I would choose Radiohead as one of my favorites just because of the experimental style of music. I am drawn to things that, like I said, uh, don't necessarily follow that pathway. That's the common trajectory. I like when artists are able to find something unique and create something that still sounds beautiful, but yet it's so very different from yeah. your mainstream. And I think a lot of artists are, are afraid to do that because they're reliant on the income. But I, I Or the... The record the, label tells the, them, yes, this the, isn't going to work. Yeah, which is they needed to have that buy. Terrible. So, with knowing like the song "Creep," you know that was kind of their their launching into yeah. the whole world. But yet, that still that song still fell into kind of the mainstream. And what I find so interesting is that how they almost had a completely different style in each record. It was almost like thinking of music as an art form and thinking of like each album as kind of this gallery showing, you know, it's, 
it's specified to this theme and then they would you know change it up for the next album and so there was always this interest that was kept with each new album that they came out with yeah going from more your rock album from the start and then kind of changing directions to later on do more of like the techno, electronic. Yeah, electronic yeah. electronic influences on it. So I think it's it's intriguing to just hear something new with each one, with each album that they came out with. Yeah. It's interesting. I just saw that Pitchfork had a like a survey for its readers to tell what their favorite albums were. Mm-hmm. And I think Radiohead had like seven yeah. of them in the top yeah. like two fifty. Right. More than any other artist. Right. And Grant, I, I don't, I have issues with Pitchfork. So I'm not, I don't like put them at like a, on a pedestal. But if you have fans saying that, I think it says a little bit different than like the, the writers or the critics. And it's just so interesting because I think Kid A was number one. Mm, yeah. And so you're talking about the electronic, you know, change. Right. And, I just so that's such a fascinating album to me mm-hmm. because it was a huge change, right? At that time, right? Like if you were to listen to it now, you'd be like, "What? Why is this such a big deal?" Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. back in two thousand, like it was a brand new way of making music for a pretty well known band, right? And I think it's interesting too, and I think part of their success is that people have the emotional connection with music and because they had different styles, they could connect it with different points or different things that they were going through. Like more of the electronic stuff was perfect for driving at night when you're by yourself going on back roads or whatever. And all you have is just like darkness around you and you're just listening to this just mood music versus your more rock music is a different time, a different setting. And so they really were able to, match that with multiple phases for each person you know right i'm curious why is it that alternative has made probably the biggest impact on you in terms of what you listen to i think as as i was talking about there's a lot of uniqueness to them to the style and i will definitely listen to a variety, a very eclectic range of, of music. But I think um, in that genre, I think that there's a lot of creative liberty in a way. Yeah. Or there's a lot of more experimentation, or the, at least that I've listened to. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of experimentation outside of that realm of alternative music. But for me, I am I'm drawn to those those musicians and and styles that are on the outside just because I think that I'm always looking for something new, always looking for new ideas, deeper thinking as an introvert, you know, (laughs) that's what we do is uh, just looking for that emotional connection, looking for that deeper thought. And I think that's what, why alternatives just keeps coming up. In high school, what other music were you engaging with that we haven't mentioned so far? Oh, wow. High school. All right. I have to think of this phase. <laughs> this was early two. wait, no. Yeah. Early 2000s. I mean, of course, your pop influences, right? But um, 
I think at that time, that was also kind of the time when my sister had moved out and off to college and she was always kind of, you know, my influence for everything <laughs> as being the big sister. Yeah. And so I think at that phase, I started to transition out of, you know, the heavy, heavier, more intense metal into just listening things for feeling, I suppose, more like emotional, whatever. I would say more than high school, I would say the beginning college years were influential, influential on expanding to more, to more styles. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, I mean, it, this is a lot here. I mean, but it's, it's mostly within the vein of alternative, but I mean, Arctic Monkeys, Bjork, MGMT. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we could go on Mumford and Sons, Coldplay. Yep. Florence and the Machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of, so speaking of college, that was kind of the phase of it. When you're in art school, the first thing you find out is that m music is a huge part of, oh. of art school because each professor has their own taste. And then while you're working, everybody's you're listening. you're listening to new music. So you're listening to the teacher's preferences. Right. Interesting. Or, or classmates suggestions. Yeah. So, uh, so I would definitely say, was this what teachers were playing then? So Bjork, definitely. Bjork is a classic art school artist. Wow. <laughs> Along with Sufjan Stevens, of course, that was, okay. you know, very much played. But I, I specifically remember my, my graphic design professor introducing me to Alt-J. So definitely got into the band after that just because of the different style yeah. sound to it. The vocally too mm -hmm. different. Yes, very very different. This was a, a little bit of an odd situation, but you know, withdrawing class, you also have music being played in that one. And there was a specific teacher, a professor, I should say, that uh, I had mentioned I liked a certain number of the songs that we were playing while we were doing our our drawing practice. And these classes were three hours long, so you had plenty of time. Yes, art school. Yes, it's intense. So you had plenty of time to listen to some music each time that you had class. But I ended up uh, taking one of my my drawings back after it had gotten graded and there was a CD taped on the back. A little bit weird. Yeah. Because I, I don't remember other students, you know, having a CD taped to the back of their drawing. But uh, it was the, some of those songs that were playing during class that I thought were really interesting. Like Portishead was, was one of the artists that I remember. And of course, Air. Um, so yeah, a heavy influence of, of, of quite a variety of, of artists, especially lesser, lesser known at that time, uh, in art school. And of course, then you'd go back to your dorm and find those online more, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> then have those and access them afterwards. Nice. We'll talk about like, uh, I think Mumford and Sons and Coldplay was that, I'm assuming that wouldn't be art school that was, was that was another f close friend that i had in in college that was kind of the phase where everyone was that was the first album for mumford and sons and everybody was like this is Every, this is really good stuff. everybody had that album yes yes i think it was like sophomore freshman sophomore year that their album came out or at least that people started recognizing it and so yeah my i had a friend that 
on occasion would come to me with new music. So it was like he had burned me a CD and listened to that all the time. Coldplay was, again, another sister influence. Like their beginning music was kind of like sort of like haunting style of music a little bit. Uh, A little less poppy that like what they're going into now um it was more oh yeah yeah it was it was a lot less mainstream but what's interesting with that you, you know you said haunting and not poppy yet yellow yellow huge. right well yellow and got to clocks mm-hmm. i mean yellow was more so the what was that third album that was the first that was the first album yeah oh but you, when you listen to the rest of that album for the most part the haunting is a really good word to yeah. describe that album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What Even, was that? Loss of blood to the brain or something like that? Uh, parachutes. Oh, parachutes. What was the was Russia that? blood was Russia blood to the head was, was the, the second, second one? one. Oh, okay. And then yep. X and Y would have been more Poppy. probably what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's but that was like even even X and Y was it had some poppy elements to it. Mm-hmm. But there was still that haunting element to it mm-hmm. uh, throughout the album with just a little electronic kind of twinge to it yeah i specifically remember once they got to x and y she was like nope i'm done with this really <laughs> so of course being the follower i was like okay i'm done with them too wow but, uh, the rush of blood was one i specifically remember getting into and i think i don't know if that was around the same phase as mumford or if that was before it was before that was before okay yeah. Mumford was like 2009. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. 2010. And then the the Coldplay albums was like, the first one was 2000 and then 2002. Okay, so definitely before. Yeah. Got it. But I feel like with, maybe with your sister, she didn't come around to it till she went to college. That could be. I, I think I was closer. I, typical. Yeah, that that very well could be. It was either when she was still in college or when I started college that that was kind of a big album to listen to. Yeah. So. What's interesting too here, you, you're starting to, during this time, multiple female artists, whereas before we, we haven't really talked about, is there something there that's helping you connect with their music during think, that time? I think the female artists that I was discovering were again those female artists that have more of a unique voice so uh the artist that i still listen to now and was really intrigued by when i was like this might even been been post-college but um tune yards i don't remember how i heard of her but i introduced i actually introduced her to my sister and we went to a, a concert when she was living down in texas and it's just that she – I found out recently she actually was professionally trained, I think, at Juilliard. Oh, wow. So – but she she made a comment that I heard the other – or recently. She made a comment that um, she was basically trying to push both the ugly and the pretty of her voice. And I thought that was a really interesting comment because it's thinking of – the full range of the human voice and utilizing that as an actual thinking about it as an actual instrument and, and seeing how you can shape that to, to be something unique, pushing it to its full, full capacity. 
I think I was always intrigued with kind of her trajectory too, because from what I remember, she started off being kind of inspired by listening to albums from more of like African artists and gaining inspiration from that. But then she went through this phase where she felt that was almost like robbing the music or not having her own unique style and kind of reshaping herself from what she had learned or what she had decided upon. And so you kind of see that transformation in her music too. So, but it, it's music that it, it gets to that point where it could almost get to the point of being slightly obnoxious or a little bit too yeah. weird, but it doesn't quite pass that threshold where it's just too much. Mm-hmm. I think B- Bjork sometimes gets yeah. to the too much for me. There's definitely elements that are quite interesting and I, I appreciate any artist that tries to push the limits. But I think, again, the female artists that I tend to gravitate towards are the ones that have a unique sound or have kind of more of a powerful voice, I guess. I think of Florence and the Machine Mm -hmm. with that powerful Mm -hmm. voice. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Like the, what is it? I don't think it's called Shake It Off because I think that's the Taylor Swift title. Machine... She what? wrote one called Shake It Off. Too. It is titled that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Janelle Monet, another one. Yes. Yes. Again, very unique person as well. Yeah, I, I think she kind of, her own personality tries to question the perspective of what a female artist should look like. She oftentimes dresses in, you know, your or in some of her music videos, she'll dress in like a regular men's suit or yeah. something like that. She, Androgynous. Mm-hmm. And, Androgynous, yeah. yeah. I think any point where women kind of push the boundaries of what they're supposed to be, I think that's more interesting. And Why does that interest you? I, I, think, <laughs> I think I tend to be that way. Like, I, I don't we – were, we were kind of raised by – a our my sister and my mom is very much so an independent person. She'll go out and and you know fix her own things or you know do her do the majority of the work around the house and stuff like that. And it was always like kind of put into us not to fit the mold of like your your weak female personality. Yeah. And I think that's kind of played out through uh, multiple aspects and especially with music. I think that's why I appreciate women who don't necessarily fit in those categories of, you know, the perfect shape and blonde hair and like the annoying high pitched voice <laughs> that that they're expected to be. So I think that's kind of why those they're the characters or the the artists that I'm interested in have have more layers, I think, or they put out more layers, I guess. So during college, you got invested into ballroom and Latin dance. Talk about how that happened. So getting introduced that, to that was starting off at, there's a an event, a swing dance event that happens in downtown Grand Rapids for those who are not familiar. And it happens every Tuesday night still to this day. I don't remember when it started. It's been going on no. probably close to probably close to a 20, no, maybe 15 years or so now. So, but still every Tuesday night. And so went down to that 
had a lot of fun with learning how to do swing dancing by some people that actually could do the flips and, and stuff. And so then became, was attending that regularly, of course, listening to all your 50s, 60s swing music and some more modern style that has the same rhythm. And then ended up getting into a, a group of, of friends that were interested in ballroom, joined that, dated somebody in that realm and ended up getting introduced to more dance and kind of the structure of it. And then also got introduced to a Latin dance group at that point. So quite a variety of music between those three different things. Ultimately, it was kind of shaping or investing more into the music on on the structure and the rhythms and what kind of movement can go with those things. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that you were, you know, in, enjoying some of the Latin music that you were partaking the dance lessons with. Mm-hmm. So Aventura, Prince Royce, Mark Anthony, I'm assuming that these were, you know, the music that you were dancing to. Yeah. These songs. Yeah. So you, you've got different artists for different styles of, of dance. Well, Prince Royce was definitely like a bachata artist. Like obviously that depends on the culture too. So, you know, more of like Caribbean Island influence type of music. And then of course, Mark Anthony was more of like, I think primarily salsa and that kind of thing. So even though those, those weren't things that I would necessarily like regularly listen to on my own, it was still things that I was regularly exposed to from participating in that Latin dance group. So yeah, it kind of, I, I could recognize those same artists, <laughs> you know, Prince Royce, of course, cause he said his name every time at the beginning of the song. Like a DJ Khaled. Like Royce. Yep. <laughs> you always knew it was him cause he made sure you knew it was him. <laughs> What kind of impact does this have for you today? So I actually met my husband through uh, dance originally. Yeah. So he and I actually were friends in like 2010. Yeah. So we've known each other for a while. And he got more on the track of dedicating himself to ballroom dance. So now he's a, a ballroom dance instructor is his occupation. Okay. And we actually reconnected because he was looking for a, he was looking for a dance partner originally. And that was like 2014 that I had seen him at a couple events. And so he's like, he remembered me. He's like, maybe she'd be interested in, in, you know, dedicating to practicing regularly and, and maybe she's interested in doing, you know, dance competitions and stuff like that. And it, it, I, did not go in that path because I'm too cheap to <laughs> do that kind of path, but I went in another one. So it's still part of our daily, I shouldn't say daily, his daily life, but it's still very relevant in, in our own relationship. It helps us communicate more deeply on a music level as well, which showcases itself. And uh, he's definitely trying to learn guitar and that's kind of like what we're both working towards is, oh. is learning guitar. Okay. I struggle more so on the practice end than he does, but that connection with knowing the structure of music as well as 
being able to have movement to that with with dance and just having a connection to it too has been helpful in kind of shaping where I am today, I guess. So, and I mean, salsa, bachata, those are some of still my favorite dances. So I can tolerate the music because I get to to do those styles (laughs) of dance. That's awesome. I haven't really uh, seen whether or not this is something that you still regularly do or not. The, the dancing. The dancing, yeah. yeah. So we had, at our wedding, we had, of course, yeah. you know, a showcase <laughs> wedding dance. We had to. And uh, really struggled to find venues that had a big enough dance floor. So we ended up at Grand Valley, and they said, we can make the floor as big as you'd like. And Byron gave them the dimensions, and they said, we don't have enough tiles for that. <laughs> so it was a huge part of... <laughs> our wedding because in you know your standard wedding venue has just like a maybe like a 10 by 10 square yeah and you know two people can fit on that maybe like our wedding was meant to be a we had a lot of friends who do dance as well right and so so we had to have the big floor but it it was an awesome occasion and i feel like it was more unique than a lot of weddings just because of that focus on not only dance, but we, um, I, I think for the sound, he actually, Byron knows a lot of, of DJs in town too. Okay. And so I think it was a DJ that he ended up just inviting last minute. It's like, Hey, we'll pay, we'll give you food, but we need you to, to come in and run, run the music here for us. But so, so music is like a, a huge part of our relationship in, in that aspect. He definitely listens to some different artists than what I do, but having that exposure to such a variety and eclectic variety of, of music, I think that's a, a double statement, <laughs> like eclectic variety. The wide range of music has been beneficial in, yeah, being able to connect with that and then being able to connect with different ways of listening and expressing that kind of music. Let's talk about post-college. You were having some new inspirations, and I'm curious where they were coming from. So like Hozier, The National, Brandy Carlisle, Daft Punk, and one that kind of threw me was Childish Gambino. Yes, I love Childish Gambino. The reason why I love Childish Gambino, I'll just start with that. Yeah. (laughs) That is, again, it's a musician that makes us think. So... The music video for This Is America, it was shocking. It was confusing. But you have to watch it multiple times to really understand what's going on. And through the music, he's creating a social commentary that's pretty powerful. Uh, Just for the sake of the audience, could you explain what what he's trying to get at? Sure. So if you haven't heard of the song, first of all, go watch it on YouTube. So you can have an idea of the complexity of this video. Secondly, for what's going on in the video is it, it's a lot of different scene transitions or different like odd body movements or changing from TikTok style of dance to more like kind of just almost like twitch dancing. Yeah. yeah. And choir music and rap music. So there's a whole lot of layers. But 
there's also a lot of things going on in the background. So I usually had to watch some commentaries and then reflect back on onto this video too. But uh, there's a, a moment where there's actually this person on a, on a horse going on in the background at one point in the video. There's also, I was trying to figure out what the meaning was at the beginning of the video where he as the singer is actually like pulls out a gun and like seemingly shoots this guitarist in the head, but later on the guitarist is back and playing. So I really wanted to know like the references that were being pulled for this video and what was the music trying to communicate. And for me, a, a huge focus of mine is I really delve into those commentaries about social justice, obviously bigotry. I mean, for those who don't know my husband, my husband is, is black, African-American. And so these kind of tensions are relevant and draw in interest because they hit close to home, right? Yeah. And I've always had this appreciation for, I suppose, people, music, things that are different, right? That don't fit into the norm. And hence, like, the interest in, in Spanish culture, the interest in Spanish language, music, so forth. And so any artist that can touch on that is is really interesting for me. Okay. So that's where Childish Gambino came in. Brandy Carlisle, I'm normally not a country music fan. And I wouldn't necessarily put her in that category. She would probably fall more into folk. But yeah, again, I think, you know, she's got that unique voice that's not necessarily the feminized, idealized voice. It's very much yeah. so... It's got some power behind it. It's got some, you know, there's there's a roughness to it too. Yeah. It's edgy. Yeah. For sure. It's brash, mm -hmm. even in some ways, I, mm -hmm. would, I would say. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I would describe it as just like more soulful. She puts herself into the, her music. Yeah. And it shows. It's very personal. Yes. The, the lyrics. Right. What have you been uh, listening to in recent years? Ah, uh, man, I was never a Pearl Jam person because I just wasn't exposed to it, really. But <laughs> Pearl Jam? Pearl Jam. <laughs> but. I didn't know it was 1991. But the moment that, um, so there was this film that came out that was called Into the Wild. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Yes, it is an awesome movie. And it's one of those movies that you really only, you you want to watch more than once, but you know you're going to be having to prepare yourself with some like Kleenex on the side and so forth. And uh, the music, the soundtrack for yeah. that, it was so good. And so I quickly became an Eddie Vedder fan after that. I could take or leave Pearl Jam. There's some good things to it, but like, especially in that album where he's kind of on his own and just this deep like very heavy feeling music was just such a good match for this intense emotion movie of this this character's journey and i'm not going to spoil the end for those who haven't <laughs> seen this movie but it's a sad ending but just that music kind of captured that pretty perfectly so that was has been one i i have said to my husband i said eddie vetter would be one i would love to see in concert okay and i really want to see brandy carlisle in concert i think there's something that i i know she's been an artist for a while obviously yeah. eddie vetter has been too but i want to see those two specifically before they retire or right so forth. 
or get too expensive for me to, well, Eddie's already <laughs> past my budget, but I'm not sure where, where Brandy's, Brandy Carlisle's tickets are falling, but those two are definitely two that I would love to see in concert, along with Red Hot Chili Peppers or yeah, Radiohead. Absolutely. Yeah. The song Just Breathe. Mm, yes. Off that. Wow. Yep. So good. Mm-hmm. What's interesting with that movie, 19 year old Kyle, and I'm assuming like, you know, like 19 year old Deb, uh-huh. like we would want to go do that. Yes. Yes, definitely. But now. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> like, even as like a, I feel like as a 27 year old, I was just like, there would be pros to it, but there'd mm-hmm. be some cons. Like, yeah. I mean, the relationships that you've built up mm-hmm. with people. Mm hmm the connections you've made. I can see, I don't know if you feel like this, but to like unplug mm-hmm. would be, that'd be great. It there, would. There'd be, there'd be important things that could maybe get figured out or mm-hmm. like things that need to get done. Right. Maybe. But I don't know. It, it, that's such a, an interesting film to me because ideally it, that would be great, mm-hmm. but it's not so ideal. Right, right. I think that's everybody's at, you know, the the early or the, yeah, the late teen years as you're becoming the official adult, quote unquote. Uh, that's kind of everybody's dream is to just go off and explore. And some people do it. Some people just never get kind of the, the guts to do that. And, you know, I think maybe we, we have our own journeys in a way, um, however that takes a shape. Yeah. Of kind of like going off and, and finding oneself before kind of returning into the, the grind, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. There's parts of me that like, it'd be cool to go two months to such and such place mm-hmm. and come back. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But for. <laughs> Very short amount of time. Like, and with with security, some, some money saved up and yeah. an escape plan. A, a, a job when I come back. Come right. Back. <laughs> yeah so. well i kind of actually i mean nowhere near the level of of into the wild but i kind of had that a little bit because i had actually officially graduated from college but it wasn't quite ready to just like okay well i got the degree after i've been i've been working for you know hard for this degree and i was like i, I really want a chance to to get out there and so i ended up i did end up doing a summer study abroad in spain yeah. And that was, yeah, that was awesome. Just the exposure to, to a different lifestyle and having to kind of adjust because you're stuck there for a month. <laughs> Where in Spain? I ended up, so it was a tour, I shouldn't say a tour group, but it was a group that started off um, in Madrid. So we had about maybe five or so days in Madrid itself, I think it, that was. And then we ended up, uh, the school that I was at, which I took a, one class in the school and then was an intern for a, a arts promoter business, which was kind of really cool. Yeah. Very interesting. And, but that was in Bilbao, Spain. Okay. So even more unique because they, you know, they even have a heavily, heavy influence of Euskera, Basque language. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, so I'm familiar. Yes. <laughs> with uh, the desire to create their own country right yeah and i mean it, being there it makes sense 
there. Why there's... Why is that? I mean, I, I know just a little bit. Yeah. So with each of the regions of Spain, it, it, I don't know the full history of the intentions of unifying the different spaces or the different areas of Spain, but yeah, you do have a lot of different languages. So Basque yeah. region has its own re language, which nobody knows the origins of, which is really interesting to me. Like yeah. there's no, there's no, there's no lineage to any previous language wow. for that one because yeah. it was isolated from any, any influence, the Romans, the Germans, so forth, anything. Yeah. Catalan, Galatian. Yeah. Gal you have Catalan, you have Gal uh, Gallego for another language and Castilian is the Castilian is, is Spanish. The expected. Yeah. And then you've got that like tiny country in between Spain and France that yeah. nobody knows about. Andorra. Andorra, yes. Who knows what they speak? I have no idea. I, I bet you it's um, Catalan. Could be, yeah, since they're right around that area. So, anyway. Anyways, back on topic. That's cool that you got to go there. Yes. Yeah. It was. Well, they actually have had a really cool music event too. Yeah. In Bilbao, so that was helpful to kind of get some more exposure to it, and. <laughs> It was the coolest thing. So story time. I was in the dorms of Deusto, University of Deusto, and across the street, I had my window open and I could see that they were preparing for some sort of event. And what plays through my window except for Arcade Fire? Whoa. Arcade Fire was playing a concert there. So I just left. I couldn't. I didn't necessarily go down there and go see them because obviously you needed to take some. But I had a. Arcade Fire wow. concert right through my dorm room. That's they were awesome. playing right across the river from from where I was. So that was that was a really cool event. Yeah. So yeah, even more exposure to different kind of music there. Even. That's cool. Yeah. What is it about music that makes us listen to it? Why do we enjoy music? Music, I think, has the capability of. <laughs> triggering emotion and because of that triggers memory and so i think it's a way of us processing things whether that's positive emotions or things that we're going through that we need another expression of that beyond just words and so i think that triggers in us something on a deeper deeper level so i think it's important as a part of our development and a part of kind of a helpful coping skill as well as kind of a way to express ourselves in a joyful way too. So I think it's, I think it's an essential part of, of humanity in that regard. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, thanks, Deb, uh, for doing this. Yeah, definitely. This was a surprise, but a, a, that you were creating this podcast. But it's been a <laughs> it's been a pleasure to do it. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast 
or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.